Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this evening. As I look around this room, and I see so many people that have come back after Tuesday night's message. Lord, you know my heart. I was worried. I was praying that people would accept that truth and that now we would be able to move on and see more of the truth. And so, Lord, our prayer is that you would help us to not only hear the truth, understand the truth, but apply it to our lives. And, Lord, we pray that in the end you would save us. That's our desire. And, Lord, we have that desire for everyone in this room. We have that for our families, our friends, our neighbors. Lord, we are just praying that you will give us the wisdom that we can take and we can share with others too and not only uh, help ourselves, but help those around us. And so we're praying that the Holy Spirit will guide our hearts and minds and give us that wisdom we need. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so tonight our topic is the sin that God cannot forgive. And I'll just say that this is a subject that there seems to be a lot of confusion on. And even though this subject is not a direct exploration of prophecy, it is absolutely essential to understanding prophecy. And so I thought that we should probably talk about this to see if we can understand what happens to us when the Holy Spirit is working on our hearts. Well, you'll remember the first night that we talked about the hope of Revelation, and we saw that that was nothing less than the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I think that that is going to be an amazing day. It is going to be a glorious day. And yet at the same time, the Bible warns us that we should not take our preparation for that day casually. After all, we are going to see the King of Kings in all of His glory. And if we are harboring any stubbornness in our heart when it comes to doing the will of God, then how are we going to be able to stand before Him? Jesus spoke time and time again about... He said, watch. And He told us to prepare for His coming, to get ready for it. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and what? Holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so if we need holiness when the Lord comes, then there must be a way in which He can give us holiness or make us holy before He comes because there's no holiness in us in and of ourselves, right? We need Him to make us holy. And the Bible uses some really big words to describe that. The first one is justification. And justification, in its very simplest form, is God seeing you just as if you had never sinned. And how that happens is, you first of all have to recognize that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. And you have to surrender your heart to Him, ask Him to come into your life, be your Lord and Savior, forgive you of your sins, and then He promises that the Holy Spirit will come in and start cleaning you up from the inside out and writing His law in your mind and in your heart. And that's justification. And when you give your heart to Him, you are justified. But justification is also a work of a lifetime as you are surrendering your heart afresh to Him every day. You are being justified every day. And then there's another word that's used to describe uh, what God does in us, and that is the word sanctification. And sanctification is a lifelong process of God molding you, fashioning you into the image of His Son. And that is a lifetime because it only happens as we allow God to do that work in us. If you do not surrender your heart to Him and allow Him to make those changes in you, then it's going to take a lot longer. But He is working on us all throughout our lives so that when He comes, that we would be sanctified, we would be ready for His coming. But I'd like you to notice what Jesus said in praying to our Father in John chapter 17, verse 17. He said, sanctify them by what? 
by your truth. And so without holiness, we won't be ready for the Lord to come. And we are made holy and we are sanctified by His truth. Now, let's look at a couple more texts here and see if we can flush this out even a little more. Notice what Malachi chapter 3, verse 2 says. Who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. And so when Jesus comes in His blaze of glory, He is going to be a consuming fire cleansing the earth of sin. And if we are going to be ready to meet Him when He comes, then we need to be washed, we need to be purified before He comes so that when He comes, that we can endure the brightness of His coming. And so then the question is, well then how does God purify us? I'd like you to notice what Peter said in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 22. He says, since you have purified your souls in what? Obeying the truth through the Spirit. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to see there. First of all, I want you to notice that Peter says, since you have purified your soul. In other words, Peter is saying there is a part that we have to play in our own salvation. Right? And that part is that we need to obey the truth. It's not just a matter of understanding the truth. It's not just a matter of hearing the truth. But we need to obey it and that's how we are purified. That's how we are sanctified. And so it's not just hearing the word it's not just understanding the word you can hear and understand and have a mental assent and still not do what god is calling to you to do and so it's only when we are doing the word of god that we are being sanctified and so the key to being prepared for his coming is receiving and responding to what to the truth that's right now i'd like you to turn in your bibles with me to second thessalonians chapter 2 That's going to be page 1360 if you're using one of our seminar Bibles there on your table. 2 Thessalonians. And notice what it says in chapter 2, starting in verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. And this is talking about the Antichrist. Notice what it says. It says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive what? The love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so notice here how the Bible describes this in terms of the Antichrist. And so those who are deceived and perishing at the end of time, and those who believe this strong delusion and this lie, they do so because they do not receive what? A love of the truth. That's right. And so while following the truth, may appear to be foolish from an earthly vantage point, the only way to be prepared for the events that are prophesied in the book of Revelation is to receive the love of the truth. A love, a a hunger, a desire for truth that, that no matter what happens, no matter what obstacles come your way, that you will embrace the truth. You will love the truth. You will live the truth. And yet prophecy predicts that the majority of those who claim to love the truth, in other words, the majority of Christians in the world will be swept away by strong delusions. And the Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure what? Sound doctrine. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment because I just got to say, over the last two weeks, you have got a big dose of sound doctrine, haven't you? 
Amen. But notice what it says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have what? Itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, isn't that fascinating? The Bible actually prophesies that at the end of time, it's not so much the deceiver, it's not so much the Antichrist or any other end time power that will be fully responsible for what happens, but it will be the people themselves heaping up around them people that tell them what they want to hear. In other words, they'll be gathering around themselves those people that tell them those things that are going to allow them to stay in their comfort zone. It's going to be telling people exactly what they want to hear rather than having to sacrifice, rather than having to make changes in their lives that it can just keep them to where they can feel like they can check the box that I'm saved, but I can keep doing the same things that the rest of the world is doing. And so we see here that it's the people themselves that are doing that to themselves. And so you can go right through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament, and you can see that this is really what the issue is. It has less to do with false teachers at the end and false prophets and others that are teaching error, but it has more to do with the people themselves encouraging those that are teaching error and gathering around themselves those that tell them what they want to hear, and so they are deceiving themselves. Did you know that? You can deceive yourself, right? And how do you do that? By hearing the Word and not following it. Right? Not obeying the truth. Hearing the truth, but not following it. And following fables rather than the truth. Remember what Jesus said? In vain they do worship Me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And so they gather around themselves those that are teaching those things that they want to hear. And so this is a very serious issue when it comes to responding to the truth and being ready for the coming of Jesus. And so the question is, how do we make sure that we are not swept away by that strong delusion or turned aside to those fables? And the answer can be found in the work of the Holy Spirit and in the sin that God can't forgive. And so I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John is the fourth book of the New Testament, and that's going to be page 1244 in that seminar Bible. John 16, and I'd like you to notice what it says in verse 7 and 8. Jesus is speaking here and He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the what? The Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, I I like what Jesus says here. And he's, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, right? And he calls him the helper. But I really like the way the King James says it. It calls him the comforter, right? And so the Holy Spirit here is referred to by Jesus as a helper or a comforter. Now, what we see here is that the first job of the Holy Spirit is to convict, right? And so... What does it mean to convict? Well, uh, let me ask you to take that word convict, but say it a little bit different. Just change the emphasis or the syllables. And what word do you get? Convict. That's right. And a convict is someone who's guilty, right? And so the first job of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of the fact that we are guilty of breaking God's law. And when you are convicted, sometimes that's not very comfortable, is it? And yet he's called the comforter. 
Why is that? Well, first of all, we have to realize that even though it's uncomfortable to be convicted, it's needful for us, right? Because the Bible calls itself a double-edged sword. Now, there's two ways that you can use a sword or a knife, right? You can use a knife to cut and bludgeon and kill. But you can also use a knife like a surgeon to cut out infection and disease and for healing. And so even though the comforter is convicting us where we're wrong, it's for the purpose of healing us from this disease that we have called sin. And we need to surrender ourselves and allow Him to make those changes in us so that we can be healed, right? And then it brings comfort, doesn't it? Think about when you've had a a terrible disease and and you've had a surgery and now you're recovering from it and now you feel better, right? And that's the job of the Holy Spirit, to give us that comfort. But sometimes we have to go through that difficulty first. But at the same time, the whole purpose of it is to heal us. And so it says that He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So let's do a little bit of a review here. The Holy Spirit will, first of all, convict us of sin or what's wrong in our life. He'll convict us of what's right in our life and at the same time try to lead us to a decision. And notice I said try, right? Because God has given you free will. He's not going to take that away from you and He's not going to force you to do it His way. And so He's going to show you what you're doing wrong. He's going to show you what you're doing right and He's going to try and lead you to a decision to do what is right, but ultimately it's up to you whether or not you're going to let Him do that. So, it uses the word sword to represent the Word of God, and the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And so the Spirit of God is going to lead you into God's Word and into the truth. Now look with me here at John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus said, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into what? All truth. That's right. So the Spirit of truth, when He has come, He's going to guide you into the truth. And so the Holy Spirit, first of all, is called the Spirit of truth. And Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth truth and the apostle paul wrote that the sword of the spirit is the word of god and so the holy spirit uses the word of god to guide us into all truth now what happens to us then if we refuse and we do not let the holy spirit guide us into the truth or we refuse to follow the truth as it is expressed to us well turn with me to matthew the first book of the new testament It's going to be page 1125 in your seminar Bible. And let's go to chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, and notice what Jesus says in verse 31 and 32. Jesus is speaking here in verse 31. He says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now you'll remember that we have already looked at the biblical definition of blasphemy. And we saw two definitions, didn't we? The first one is claiming to have uh, the ability to forgive sins. And just being a mere man, you can't do that. Only God can do that. So that's blasphemy. And the other one was claiming to have the prerogatives of God or the authority of God. So if we are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, who is God, what we're doing is when we're saying when that conviction comes, that's that's not the Holy Spirit convicting me and therefore I don't have to follow it. You see what I'm saying? And so we're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit by saying that wasn't the Holy Spirit. Remember that happened to Jesus. 
because the Pharisees accused him of being under the, the power of the devil, right? And casting out demons and healing by that power. And so they weren't giving credit to God for that conviction that was there or for the, for the miracles that he was doing. And that's blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Now, notice what it says here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so God is, and I quote, faithful, right? Now, what does it mean to be faithful? It means that He always does it, right? I like that song that uh, is, uh, I think it's entitled, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Right? And, and really what that's saying is just like the sun is faithful to come up every morning, God is faithful to forgive us of our sins. And so what this is saying is that every time we confess our sins with a sincere heart, that God does what? He forgives us because He's faithful to do that. And He not only forgives us, but He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so what we have to conclude from this verse and the previous ones that we looked at is that the only sin that cannot be forgiven is the one that that is not confessed. Right? It's not a particular kind of sin, but rather just any sin that is not confessed. And because the Holy Spirit is creating conviction in your heart and we are not yielding to it, the Bible says that we are sinning against the Holy Spirit. And this sin can never be forgiven. Not because it's a single sin, but you are repeatedly resisting and and not allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work in your life that He wants to do. Rather than following what He's asking you to do and taking that conviction, we are resisting it, we are pushing back, we are saying, no, this really isn't of God and I don't need to do this. We are blaspheming and we are resisting the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, there have been times when I have been uh, preaching a sermon and I can just see that the Holy Spirit is just stirring the hearts of people and you want to obey the Word of God. And we have every intention that we're going to obey that Word. But then we don't act on it right away and pretty soon it begins to fade away. Let me give you a perfect example of this. I can preach a sermon on the fact that we have been given a commission by God. That we are to go out into all the world and make disciples and baptize them and bring them into the kingdom of God, right? We all know that. And I can preach a sermon on that and I can see heads nodding and I can see people are convicted and they're saying, yeah, we need to do that. And then the sermon's over and the following week we say, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to hand out some information in the community, right? And then you get two or three people to come out, right? But the week before, everyone was convicted that, yes, we need to be doing the work that God has called us to do. And so we have to be very careful when it comes to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you this, the conviction of God is never going to be stronger than the first time you hear a new truth. For example, I'm going to bet that Tuesday night, some of you heard some pretty heavy truths about the law of God for the very first time. And there may have been some conviction in your heart that we need to keep the Sabbath day holy. But if you don't act on it right away and you don't start keeping the Sabbath day holy after a period of time, that conviction is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker, right? And so let me just throw a plug in there. This Saturday, 
we are going to have a worship service right here in the sanctuary. So come on out with us at 12 o'clock noon and we're going to worship. And we're going to keep the Sabbath day holy. We do that through rest. We do that through a memorial of creation. We do that through doing good. And we do that through a corporate day of worship. And we want to do all of those things to keep that day holy. But if we continue to resist that conviction of the Holy Spirit, and when it shows up right then, when it shows us that we're doing something wrong, if we don't act on it, it's a natural tendency for us to just forget about it or stop being concerned about it, and that conviction just gets weaker and weaker. And this is why, uh, you know, I have people that come to me and they're all, they're all agitated, right? And they're, and they're saying, Pastor, I, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. And I ask them, well, why do you say that? Well, I, I haven't been doing what God wants me to do. And I say, how do you feel about that? Well, I, I'm upset. And I say, well, then I don't think you have. Right? Because of the very fact that you're agitated about it. But someone who has repeatedly grieved away the Holy Spirit, someone who is not following that conviction, after a while that conviction just goes away and pretty soon you're not bothered about that at all. I've had sermons where I've preached a good sermon and I know that the Holy Spirit is working. I can see it in the, in the group and I'm all excited, and when I get done, I think, man, that was so clear. The whole church is going to change. And then a few people do, but the rest don't. And then you go visit them, and they say something like, yeah, that was a really good sermon, Pastor. Thank, thank you very much. But they don't feel any conviction in their heart to change. I worry more about that person than someone who's agitated because they think they've grieved away the Holy Spirit. Because of the very fact that they are worried about it tells me they haven't, right? Now, let me tell you another story. And this has to do with grieving the Holy Spirit. When you get to the point when your heart is so hard that you have no desire for spiritual things at all. And I'm not just talking about someone who's completely walked away from God. Let me just tell you that. You can, you can be a person who goes to church every week. You can be a person who pays a faithful tithe, but you have another area in your life that God is working on and He's trying to get you to change, but you're resisting it and you can grieve the Holy Spirit away. Now, let me give you that example. It was years ago and I was a lot younger back then. And I was talking to an elderly lady and we were talking about this kind of an issue and she said to me, Sonny, I have been a Christian for 40 years. And you know what I said to her? I said, praise God. That is awesome. I haven't been a Christian that long. But let me ask you a question. Do you have 40 years of experience of yielding your heart to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to change you? Or do you have one year experience 40 times? You see, what that really happens to people is we give our heart to Jesus and and we check the box that we're saved, but then we stop. And we don't allow Him to make any more changes in our lives. But remember that sanctification is the work of a lifetime because God is working on you to change. Someone who has been a Christian for 40 years should be different than someone who's been one for 5 or 10. I should be different today than I was yesterday. I should be different this year than I was last year Because God has more areas in your life. Is there anyone here that's perfect yet? No, we're not. And so God is still wanting to work in your life. And we may have some areas that we're very strong in. And then there are other areas that God is still working on. And He wants us to surrender and allow Him to change us. But if we don't, then we are resisting and we are grieving away the Holy Spirit. Notice what Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. The Bible says that the persistence of man's disobedience was their hearts were hardened to the point 
that the Holy Spirit could no longer help them. They would not submit their will to God and they grieved away the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says in Genesis 6 verse 3. God says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. In other words, what this is saying is that God is pleading with us God is showing us the truth. He wants us to follow that truth. He's trying to get us to respond to that truth. But through our persistent disobedience and resistance to the truth, our hearts are becoming harder and harder and that conviction is becoming weaker and weaker. And there comes a point when God can't do anything for you. Because you see, the only way that God can save you is through the Holy Spirit. It has to be the Holy Spirit working in your heart and helping you to change. Now, let me just say this. It happens to us almost imperceptibly. In other words, we're grieving the Holy Spirit away and we don't even see it. We don't even realize it that our hearts are getting harder until we come to the point where we just don't care about that, that subject or, or spiritual things at all. And then the Spirit of God is grieved and is gone and we haven't even realized what's been happening to us. We think we're still going to come around, but because we're dragging along, because our hearts are getting harder and you get into sin and then pretty soon, guess what? You become comfortable in sin because you start thinking well it's not so bad as i thought right because you're not as convicted as you were at the beginning because the holy spirit now is the only way that god can reach man there is no other way that god can rescue us from the deception of the last days and from sin except through the holy spirit this is why We have to repent. That's why we have to turn it over to God. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit working in our lives, or we're resisting the Holy Spirit, then guess what? We are beyond hope. There's no hope for us, because that's the only way that God can save us. Let me just say this to you. Every person who gets to heaven is going to arrive there with their free will intact. God's not going to force anyone to come to heaven. But only those who surrender their will to Him by their own free will and do it His way are going to arrive there. They're going to have done it His way and they're going to arrive there because it's still their own free will. But they chose to surrender it to Him. Now, I want to talk about another verse and that's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. And you can go there and you can look at this if you want, but I'm just going to talk about it. Because the Apostle Paul is talking about Christians in the last day. Who's he talking about? Christians in the last day. So he's talking about you and me. And you know what he says? He says they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. You recognize that verse? Now, check this out. We talked about this the other night, but notice up here on the screen what Jesus said in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Now, we've seen that verse quite a bit, haven't we? But Jesus continued. He says, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and He will give you a what? Another helper. In other words, it's only after you make the decision to follow Jesus and to follow the truth, that's when you get the power from God to live out that truth, right? To get over the obstacles that are in your way. Because guess what? If you decide to follow the truth, Satan's not going to be happy about it. And he is going to throw as many obstacles in your way as he can. And so it's when we give our heart to Jesus and we make that commitment, yes, I'm going to follow that truth. Yes, ah, Lord, I'm, I'm repenting. I'm sorry that I didn't see it before, but I have not kept the Sabbath day holy and now I want to start doing it. And you make that decision. Now God gives you the power to do that. 
The same is uh, in your tithe. You know, God, everything that you have comes from God. Every bit of income that you have. And God gives it to you, but He says, I'm going to test you in your faithfulness to see if you give me back what's mine. And He says, one-tenth of it's mine. And if you don't, then guess what? You're stealing from God. Okay? And so God wants us to keep His law. He knows it's for our good. And He's going to help us to do the law and to keep the law, but only after we make a commitment to do that, then He gives us the power. Now, let me uh, give you a couple examples from the Bible who were given the power by God to overcome obstacles. Think about that blind man who was on the road who was crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. You remember that guy? Yeah, and he was crying out. And then pretty soon the people said, no, 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 be quiet, right? Stop that, we're trying to hear. And so that man just said, okay, well, I guess I better go home then. Is that what he did? No, the Bible says he cried out even louder. He overcame the obstacles. It was the people that were, that were trying to stop him. And he overcame those obstacles by yelling louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus came over and he healed him, didn't he? He saw his faith and he healed him. And then what about that man by the name of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a man of short stature. And he wanted to see Jesus. He needed to have reassurance. He needed to have security. He needed forgiveness. And he wanted to see Jesus. And he saw the crowd. And he saw that, that, the, that it was getting bigger. And he tried to see Jesus, but he couldn't see over the top of the people. And so he just went home and said, I'll try another day, right? No, that's not what he did. The Bible says he ran ahead of Jesus and he climbed a sycamore tree and he waited for Jesus. Can you imagine? A grown man climbing a tree. He overcame the obstacles, right? And God gave them the power to do that because he had an earnest desire to see Jesus. And then what about that, uh, those four guys who had a friend who was a paralytic and they wanted to take their friend to Jesus? And they went to the house where Jesus was speaking. And they got there and the house was so full they couldn't even get in the door. They went around to the windows and the windows were open and people were listening in. But they couldn't hear so they just said to their buddy, Sorry bud, but we can't get in. Uh, We'll have to try another day. No? No, that's not what happened. The Bible says they climbed up on the roof, they tore a hole in the roof and they lowered him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith. And he healed them. What about that woman who had the issue of the flow of blood for 12 years? She tried to do everything that she could to get healed. She sought doctors. She, she gave all her money. And no one could help her. And so she thought, if I could just get to Jesus, he would heal me. But she tried. But the crowd was so big that she couldn't even get close to him. And so she just said, well, I guess I'll have to try another way. Is that what happened? No, the Bible says that she thought in her mind, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, he will heal me. And she reached down and touched it, and instantly she was healed. And you remember what happened? Jesus stopped. He said, who touched me? And the disciples are like, you're kidding, right? We're being thronged by people. They're pressing in against us. How can you say who touched us? But Jesus said, I perceive that power went out from me. Friends, that needs to be a big lesson to us. Because here's the lesson. That God can recognize the difference between a casual believer and someone who is earnestly seeking Him. Someone who is willing to give up everything to be right with Him. He can tell the difference between someone who's just going through the motions. Someone who's just going to church every day. And and they may even be paying a faithful tithe. But he he can tell the difference between that person and someone who is earnestly seeking to keep his commandments. Someone who's earnestly seeking to follow his will. Someone who loves him so much that they're willing to lose everything to be right with him. God can tell the difference. And you know, that's why the Holy Spirit is needed. 
right? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that gives the motivation, the courage, the strength. It gives us that power to overcome those obstacles, to go through them, around them, over them, under them, whatever it takes to keep on going, to keep pressing forward. And once we make that decision, He gives us that power. He leads us to know the truth. He leads us to make that decision. But if we don't make that decision, then the power isn't there, right? It's when we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow your will for my life. That's when the power comes through. The Bible says it in another way. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. It's going to be page 1258 of your seminar Bible. Acts chapter 5. And I'd like, I want you to see this for yourself from the Word of God. Look what it says starting in verse 30. Acts 5, verse 30. The Bible says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to what? To those who obey Him. That's when God gives us the power. Now you might say, well, does that... Does that mean that uh, the Holy Spirit is only given to those who obey? No, because remember the first job of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin, to get convict of what is wrong and try and lead us to a decision. And so the Holy Spirit is there working on everyone. But in a very special way, you are given the power of God. Once you are determined to do it, He will give you that power. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No, the devil's going to throw obstacles in your way. It's going to be very difficult. But he gives you the ability to persevere, to keep going, to continue on. I'd like you to notice something that Mark Twain once said. He said, Every generation and every individual will be judged on the basis of what they know and how they obey it. Isn't that powerful? God is not going to judge you by what you don't know but He's going to judge you by what you do know and what you do with it. Notice what it says in John 15, verse 22. Jesus said, if I hadn't come and told them, if they, if they didn't know, then maybe they would have an excuse. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Once you know the truth, now you've got to follow it, right? Because if you don't, there's no excuse for your sin. And guess what? There's no Savior. If you are unwilling to follow the truth, then there's nothing else that God can do to save you. His Son died for you to pay your penalty, but you've got to do your part. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12 says, You are judged according to the light that you have, not the light that you don't have. I was talking to someone earlier tonight, and I said, let me just give you an example of this. How many of you believe that Martin Luther is going to be saved? I I think so. Right? He was, he was a major part of the Reformation, right? But guess what? Martin Luther never kept the Sabbath. But remember what we talked about earlier. The truth was just beginning to be restored. And that wasn't part of the truth that he was lifting up. But I also have to believe that if Martin Luther were alive today, he'd be keeping the Sabbath. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, If you know the good that you ought to do and you don't do it, to you it's sin. And that's why some people say, well, the less I know, the better off I am. Yeah, you ever heard anybody say that? They cling to that A word, right? Accountability. If I don't know it, then I'm not going to be held accountable. But guess what, friends? If you have the capacity to know and you don't, then you're going to be held accountable. It's just like stopping your ears and closing your eyes. Yeah, just trying to ignore the truth. Well, the truth is that the truth will set you free. But only as we follow that truth, only as we live that truth out in our lives. Yeah, sometimes the truth calls for us to take a step of faith. 
you might not see where all this is going to take you. You might be thinking in your mind, well, what does it mean if I'm going to keep the Sabbath? How is that going to affect my life? But I would just say this to you. Just do it and leave the consequences to God. Right? He promises us that He will give us the power if we are willing to do what He says. Now, let me just say this too. God doesn't want to take anything out of your life that is good for you. You understand that, right? God doesn't want to take anything away from you that is good. But He does want to take those things that He knows are leading you in the wrong direction. And so the problem that we sometimes have is we don't want to let go of it, right? It's kind of like that discussion that Sabrina had with the caffeine, right? You know, God says don't do it. It's bad for you because there's a direct correlation between your physical health and your spiritual health. But we think, I don't want to do that. I want that stuff, right? And so we have to be very careful when it comes to that and we need to put our trust in Him. We need to put our trust in Him and He says these things are for our good and these things aren't for our good. And so, but too often we refuse to follow the truth because we don't want to come outside of our comfort zone. Think about the deacon Stephen. Remember what he said to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7, verse 51? He said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Stephen is saying to them, You're resisting the truth. You've seen the miracles that Jesus did. You know His teaching. You know that it's the truth, but you're resisting it. And he says, why? Because that's what your fathers did. And you're hiding behind your father's religion. Look, friends, your parents may have been godly people living up to all the light that they had, but they didn't hear this. And now you can't hide behind your parents' religion. Now you've got to say, I've got to follow the truth. I've got to go one step further than they did. Right? And he's saying, don't hide behind your father's faith. And so that comes, then comes the question, can the conviction of the Holy Spirit be seen? I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. Fourth book of the New Testament. It's going to be page 1222 in that seminar Bible. John chapter 3. You're probably very familiar with this story, but I want to read it again to you. Starting in verse 1. John 3. The Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I love Jesus. I love the fact that that people would come. Look at what Nicodemus is doing. He's trying to butter Jesus up, right? We know you're from God. We know that you can't do this without God. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter. Dude, you need to be born again. Right? That's exactly what he's doing here. And he goes on, and Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter in a second time to his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is a very interesting story because here Jesus is using the wind to symbolize the working of the Holy Spirit. And He says, can you see the wind? No, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind, right? You can see the leaves rustling. You can see the grass moving. You can see the flowers moving. You can't see the wind, but you can see the results of it. And Jesus is telling us the same is true of the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the work of the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? Through conviction, right? The conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to share with you some of the signs 
that the Holy Spirit has been working in your life here over the last couple of weeks. First of all, I want to point out that there are both negative and positive signs that you are under conviction. The first one that is negative would be sorrow. There are people that get really upset. I've had some people that have gotten really mad at me before. I've had people say to me through these series, you're just picking on the Catholics. Friends, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend anyone. I'm just pointing out what the Bible prophesied, and it just happens to fit that group, right? But people get mad. And then there are people who are excited about that. They're filled with joy. There are some who start self-justifying, right? They start coming up with all of the excuses why they shouldn't do what God is calling them to do. Perhaps you've been going through that over the last couple of meetings, that you start justifying in your mind why you don't have to do that. And remember what we talked about earlier. Then you start gathering around yourself those who tell you what you want to hear. And then there's those who are repenting. Lord, I am sorry. I didn't see this before. Forgive me. Help me to do it from now on, right? And then there are those who come up with objections. Oh, but what about this? And what about that? And, and how come it says this, right? But then there are others who just apply the Word of God to their lives and say, yes, I want to follow that truth. And then there's avoidance. Oh man, I've seen this so many times. I'll be talking to people and they're so friendly and happy and then I'll preach a sermon and then I don't, wherever I am, they're not there, right? They see me coming and whew, around the corner they go and they are avoiding me like the plague, right? Because that's conviction. They don't want to hear it. And sometimes people even say, you know, if we could just get rid of that pastor, then everything would be okay because there's conviction there. And then there's some people like you, you just can't stay away, right? You're back again even after a really hard message Tuesday night because you want to know the truth and you want to be kept from that deception in the last days and you want to be saved and you want God when He comes to find you faithful, right? Amen. And then there are some people, there's anger, but there's also excitement, irritability, friendliness. Look at all of these. Some people just try to rationalize it all away. Some people resist, right? But then there's restitution. You remember years ago when that movie by Mel Gibson, The Passion of the Christ, came out? I heard a story of a man who, after that movie, went and confessed to a murder that he had committed 20 years earlier and had gotten away with. But now he gave his heart to Jesus. Now he's following the will of God for his life. And now he's got to make it right. And he's willing to pay the price. And he had to go to prison. But guess what? God gave him the power to get through it. Amen? And then there's restlessness. Sometimes I just see people fidgeting in their seats. Oh man, I can't wait to get out of here, right? And then there's other times you just have a peace. Oh boy, I love to see that when people just all of a sudden a peace comes over you. It's amazing. But you know what? There are a couple of them that could fit either way. Sometimes when people are under conviction, they get really, really quiet. And sometimes it's because they're mad. And sometimes it's because the wheels are spinning and they're thinking. They're deep in thought, right? So they just get really quiet. And then there are sometimes there are people that, are, that have tears. When my, when my mother came to this truth, she cried for a week. Because she had grown up in the Lutheran church. She was 70 years old. She'd been a Lutheran her whole life. She has nine brothers and sisters. They were all in the same church. And now she has to make a decision. Am I going to follow the truth or am I going to stay with my family? But remember what Jesus said. If mother or father or brother or sister is more important to you than me, you are not worthy of me. And she had to make that decision. And she finally did. Praise God. And then there are some people who have questions. There are some people, they have questions just to try and prove you wrong, right? They keep pointing out those obscure verses to try and get you off of your game there. And then there are other people that have good, honest questions. And we can see an example of that in the Bible of Zechariah and Mary. You remember when the angel Gabriel went to Zechariah and told him he was going to have a son, John the Baptist. What did Zechariah say? How can this be? I'm old, right? He was... He was questioning with doubt in his heart. But Mary, she had an honest question. How can this be since I've never been with a man? 
And, and Gabriel answered her question, but he told Zechariah, well, let me just show you. You're going to be mute for nine months. Right? Amen. Now, let's, uh, let's take a look at a couple of Bible examples of conviction. You remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And he said, what do I have to do to be saved? Jesus said, keep the commandments. But he, he listed those commandments that had to do with our relationship with men. And he said, I've kept all those my whole life. And then Jesus said, well, if you want to be perfect, then sell everything you have, give to the poor and follow me. Because now he was placing God first over his money, right? But the Bible says that young man walked away sorrowful. The conviction was there. He was sorry, but he couldn't do it, right? Couldn't follow that true. Then there's the example of the Jews on Pentecost. Peter was preaching, and it says that the people were cut to the heart, and they said, what must we do? And, and Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And they all were, right? 3,000 people were added to the church. Then there's avoidance. Remember when Jesus was on trial before Pilate? Jesus said, I come to give the truth. You remember what Pilate said? What is truth? But then he left the room. Right? He didn't want to hear the answer. He was avoiding that one. That's avoidance. Anger. How about the Sanhedrin when Stephen gave his address to them? When he told them, you're stiff-necked and hard-hearted and follow your father's ways, right? What did they do? They got angry. Right? And so there we can see. So as you look at how you've been feeling over the last couple of meetings what kind of response have you had to that conviction of the holy spirit have you gotten upset with me have you been angry have you been fidgeting in your seat have you been trying to justify have you been trying to think of uh, i got to go talk to somebody that can set me straight because i don't want to do this or have you committed to doing that and say yes you've had that peace you've had that joy You've had that excitement, that friendliness, the restitution, the peace, the silence, whatever it might be. How have you been responding? And so there are many indicators that the Holy Spirit has been working here in your lives. And I've seen some of them. There was one lady that was really mad at me the other night. And as soon as we were done, I had to go talk to her. Right? Because I don't want anyone to feel that way. Because we need to realize that, you need to realize, first of all, it's not me. I'm going to promise you, I can't convict anybody. And trust me, I've tried. Yeah, you can't do it. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So then let me ask you a question. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, by trying to cover up your sins. Remember David and Bathsheba? David tried to cover up his sins by having her husband killed. Do you think that that grieved the Holy Spirit? Oh, I guarantee you that it did. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, He who covers his sins shall not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Oh, praise God for his mercy, friends. Right? We do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit away by covering our sins. And then there's procrastination. And my personal belief is that the majority of the people are going to be lost. They're going to be deceived in the end of time because of procrastination. Right? Thousands, millions of people procrastinating and guess what friends procrastination is not saying not yet it's really saying no i want to remind you of the story of paul and felix paul was sharing the truth with him and what did felix say well why don't you come back when there's more opportune time right what felix was really saying is no i don't believe that i don't want to hear it and guess what there, there's no recorded time when they ever got back together again. And he grieved the Holy Spirit away, right? It is one of the most common ways that people grieve the Holy Spirit. And so we need to beware of procrastination. It is one of the ways to grieve the Holy Spirit. And then there's just an outright refusal to follow the truth. Now, I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's going to be page 1368 in your seminar Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to point something out to you here in verse 6 and 7. 2 Timothy 3, verse 6 and 7. 
Paul says to Timothy and to us, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Friends, I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You ever seen that sometimes there are just seminar people, right? There are people that just love to come to seminars like this and they keep learning, but they never make a decision. And so if we do that, we don't ever really come to a knowledge of the truth. We might have some head knowledge, but we don't have heart knowledge. I've heard someone say that the longest distance on the planet is from your head to your heart, right? Because it's the hardest thing to do. It takes some people sometimes a lifetime to surrender their heart to Jesus. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. When we yoke up with Christ, that's when we learn, right? That's when we have a helper. But if we just keep, you know, coming to a seminar and and keep learning and, 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 and we keep seeing truth, but we never respond to it, then we haven't truly learned it. I know some people, you, you ever take one of those correspondence Bible studies? You get, order it in the mail? I know people that have taken 26 of those, but have never, it's never done anything to change their life, right? They're always learning, but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. They don't respond. And, and we need to realize that if we get ourselves in that place, we are in a very dangerous condition. Kind of like this guy. Look at this guy, right? Uh, excuse me, sir, but there's a fire in your house. Come on out. Nope, I'm not coming out. Isn't that foolish? Right? I mean, how silly is that? I've heard people who have stopped coming to church because one person said something that hurt their feelings. Why would you do that? Why would you let someone else affect your salvation? You know what? I'm convinced that God brings really difficult people into my life so that I can learn to love those who are hard to love. You ever thought about that before? Instead of getting mad at someone in the church because of something they say, how about loving them? Right? But our pride, pride is a terrible thing. It gets in the way and people cling to it even when they know the truth. And we've got to pray that the Lord would take away our pride. Now I want to take you to another verse. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 33. That's going to be the Old Testament, one of the major prophets right before Daniel. 997 in your seminar Bible. Ezekiel chapter 33. And I want you to notice something here. Starting in verse 30. I want you to notice what God says to Ezekiel. He says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And so they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are as to them as a very lovely song, and of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not what? They do not do them. I can't tell you how many people that I've seen come out to a seminar like this And forgive me for saying this, but it's just to be entertained. There are people that come out because they're just looking for some information, but they're not looking to change their lives. And that's what God wants from us. I love my aunts. My mom has nine brothers and sisters. And I've talked to my aunts, and you know what they've told me? I'm too old to change. You know what I've told them? That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Because uh, being a Christian is all about change, right? God is wanting us to change. He's wanting us to become like Christ. And you know what our problem is? It's a societal problem. Because society has conditioned us for non-response. I heard a story about a murder that took place on the streets of New York. And that right in broad daylight. And there were people that were watching this. 
And then when the police came and started questioning them, well, why didn't you do anything? And you know what people said? We didn't think it was real. We just thought it was a play or something, right? People acting out. Because as we watch murder on TV, we're conditioned not to do anything about it. And then when it really happened, nobody did anything. And that's the exact same thing that happens to us when it comes to spiritual things. We are conditioned not to respond. Every time you open the Word of God, Every time you hear the Word of God, you should be prepared to respond to the Word. Right? That's how we grow. And that's how we are going to be saved in the last days. Remember years ago, I was talking to my brother's wife's grandmother. A beautiful lady. I don't have anything bad to say about her. But I was talking to her about spiritual things and she said to me, Oh, I just love that Joel Olstein. Any of you know who he is? He's a very charismatic preacher on TV, right? He gives a good, feel-good message, right? And she said, oh, I just love that Joel Olstein. He just makes me feel so good. And I said to her, really? That's what's important, feeling good? Wouldn't you rather hear a sermon that just cuts to the very heart of your soul, dividing even bone and marrow? She looked at me like I had two heads, right? <laughs> She looked at me as if to say, no, I just want to feel good, right? But friends, that is not what God is calling us to. We read it already in Ezekiel 33, verse 31. They hear your words, but they do not do them. Remember what James said in chapter 1, verse 22? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus said, Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Follow the truth when you hear it, because if you don't, that conviction is going to grow weaker and weaker, and pretty soon you're going to be walking in darkness and you don't even know it, because you've refused to follow that truth. Friends, if we don't respond, if we wait, then what's going to happen? That conviction is just going to go away. And so my appeal to you tonight is to respond. You've been hearing truth. You have a divine appointment. You're back here because the Holy Spirit brought you back here tonight. Because you need to hear this truth. And now you've got to act upon it. You've got to follow it. Are you willing to surrender your heart to Him? Are you willing to follow the truth? And I'm going to ask you to do something, and I don't want you to do it just because you think everybody else is doing it. But I want you to examine within your heart, and I want to ask you, are you willing to follow the truth? Are you willing to keep all of the commandments of God? Do you want to avoid that deception? Do you want to avoid being swept away by that strong delusion and that lie? The only way that we can is if we will respond to the truth. And so I'm asking you, are you willing to follow the truth? And if you are, let me see your hand. Oh, I praise God for you. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you for everyone that just raised their hand. I thank you even for those that didn't, who have a burning in their heart. Lord, who they see that this is truth and they want to follow it. But Lord, the devil's already at work and trying to distract them and pull them away and say, no, you don't have to do that. But I just pray for them, Lord that You will help us to make the decision. And when we do, You promise us You're going to give us the power to follow through with it. And so we pray that You'll do that. Keep Your Word to us, Lord. Show Yourself faithful to us, even if we are not. And help us to do everything that we can to prepare for the coming of Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.